0: everybody. This is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack Podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation and startups. Today is a very, very special day because I am talking to two wonderful executives um, who are solving a problem that is near and dear to my heart. It's an area that DWP Capital we've we've been exploring um, because it affects everybody. It affects everybody in the U.S. and... um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of momentum going into this into this space. There's a lot of different players going at it from different angles and cutting the pie a little bit differently. But t- today, I'm talking to one of like the market leaders of of this space, uh, which is a space that addresses nursing shortages, um, which is actually quite terrifying to know of how big of a gap we have of the demand versus the supply of nurses in the industry of healthcare. And today, I'm talking to David Coppins and Rebecca Love, who are leading the charge at IntelliCare, uh, which, again, is one of the largest gig marketplaces for nurses in the world. So with that, David, Rebecca, how are you?
1: Great. Thank you, David. Appreciate you having us on.
2: Thank
0: you, David. <laughs> um, so have you solved this problem yet, or, or what's going on?
1: <laughs> we are we are uh, uh, midstream in solving that. We certainly have for a couple thousand facilities and, um, and 35,000 nurses, but, uh, but it is absolutely, a, uh, it's, it's huge, the problem. I'll let uh, Rebecca talk a little more about what she sees out there, but uh, no doubt this is a big deal.
2: Yeah, as, as David just said, um, you know, the truth is, is that there is 5 million nurses in the country, which actually is more than ever before in history. But um, as you're probably well aware, we're calling this a nursing shortage because those nurses who are nurses are not willing to practice in the environments that exist today. With one in three bedside nurses, based on the McKinsey study, showing that they were leaving the profession in 2021, they reran the study in 2023 and found out that those that are remaining, 45% of them, are also thinking of leaving within the next six months their positions at the bedside. Um, so the reality, is, is that we are facing in a tremendous uh, gap within our ability to drive health care forward, both within our acute care, our hospital space, and in our post-acute care. And what you may be aware of, David, is telecare primarily serves the post-acute market. And during the pandemic, we lost over 400,000 frontline caregivers within long-term care, which meant that we have not even closely recovered from the amount of people who have lived, uh, exited the long-term care market. And uh, extrapolating out, they don't believe that the re- workforce will return to pre-COVID levels until 2027 alone in long-term care, and what we're facing in our acute care market is a situation where the length of experience on a 12-hour shift of a nurse was six years of experience prior to the pandemic and has dropped to less than 2.8 years of experience by a nurse on a 12-hour shift, which has showed a significant portion of experienced nurses exiting in mass droves, and those that are remaining in healthcare have what we would consider still a novice uh, to basic level. Of experience behind them that are now delivering healthcare in our healthcare systems.
0: And the story behind this exodus to the profession, I remember um, vividly, was from COVID, right? And 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 these big these big problems, and like you know, these like nurses are being overworked and and underpaid and underappreciated, and they just put their hands up and said, "I don't want to do it." But I was speaking to an executive um, from AMN, which is a large publicly traded staffing company, and and she told me that this nursing shortage issue actually predated COVID by a long time. So is that true? And what, what caused that?
2: Well, I actually, I mean, we've known for at least the last 20 years, David. I mean, the study showed in 2001 that we were facing a massive shortage of nurses in the country at that point in time, and there was a massive movement to push nurses to get a bachelor's degree in a hopes that by elevating the profession from an associate degree level to a bachelor's prepare, you would actually drive more people who are getting traditional four-year degrees to go into nursing. That is actually showed to be functionally false. Um, we actually saw greater amounts of nurses leaving the bedside with bachelor's degree than almost any other degree type within nursing. In fact, fifty. 50- percent of new grads leave the bedside within two years of practice in nursing. Um, but the truth is, is we've known this shortage was coming, and really, we were going to see the custom of it heading into 2008, in which was the last time we had a major recession. And at that time, nursing was in serious trouble. We were forcing a whole direction again on international recruitment, but the recession hit, and at that time, the working class, which is many what you still see is the blue-collar working-class community that nurses are well married into, we're still a 95% female um, uh, profession, as their husbands were laid off, their kids were going into colleges, they stayed longer at the bedside and actually pushed out what we saw was what we thought of a major hit in 2008 to 2012, um, being a time that we started to see these gaps within care. And um, currently, we know acutely right now in the United States, we have a gap of 250,000 to 400,000 acute openings that are necessary for nurses to fill that are currently not being filled. But David, what has been your experience? Because I, I think David's going to talk to you a little bit about why IntelliCare Forum did the trends he saw, why IntelliCare could solve some of this a little bit.
1: Sure. Yeah, I think that when, when we got uh, involved in this, we found that uh, that there is a large number of nurses that wanted more flexibility in their schedule. Um, and, and in fact, 30% of nurses and nurse aides really Either want or need a lot of flexibility, a lot. But without technology, it's really too cumbersome for healthcare facilities to, uh, and the the staffing agencies that support them, kind of, to to offer real, unlimited flexibility. The fact that we brought our technology platform to market basically provides unlimited flexibility, and and by so doing, it's allowed tens of thousands of nurses um, to actually work more, uh, because now they can actually fit work around their complicated lives, whereas rigid schedules never worked. Um, and so we've been able to bring many more to market, allowing them to work more. And that's helped you know make an impact on the, the nursing shortage. And given uh, these nurses uh, the opportunity to actually work in a way that that, that gives them the opportunity to really kind of enjoy the profession again um, and and maybe you know I know I'm not very credible when I say that uh, Rebecca can certainly speak to that but but by doing that it's really changed uh, changed the game for them
2: And David, I think uh, to that point, of uh, the truth is, is we know about uh, 95% of the profession is female, still in nursing, even at this day and age. Um, We know that about 80% of nurses go part-time or per diem when they have their first child. Um, And what we know is that there is no system in place that actually scaled that workforce. And this is well-known data across the industry. We just thought we could keep producing more nurses to meet this gap of demand, that we simply would never have to create technology that would optimize this per diem or part-time workforce. And why that matters is the reality is is when you take a paper process, put it into technology and speed it up, usually in healthcare, that is created more work for the frontline staff. We would refer to that as an EHR or an electronic health record. Nurses hate it, right, along those lines. But in, in this situation, we took a paper process, put it into technology, sped it up, and nurses loved it. Because when you allowed nurses the freedom and the flexibility to pick up shifts when and where they want to work, guess what? It went from being able to pick up one shift a month in a per diem capacity to being able to pick up five shifts in a per diem capacity, because Mm -hmm. suddenly it's raining on a Saturday and soccer practice is canceled and your husband can stay home and you can pick up that shift. You're not missing anything meaningful. These nurses extrapolated and were able to actually scale themselves in ways that the traditional models have never been able to scale. So I think that's some of the brilliance in what's happened. And nobody was going to do this in all of healthcare if it wasn't for a staffing organization. Because as you're aware, David, nurses are cost- to healthcare systems. So nobody has ever meaningfully invested in technology for nurses because nurses as being a cost are a de-investable resource. They eat more investment into them is just increased cost without an associated revenue line, which has meant we have always treated nurses and to them to the lowest cost denominator and invested in them in a very similar fashion. Except for organizations like IntelliCare, who have actually invested hundreds of millions of dollars to try to optimize that workforce and scale them. Because honestly, it's about public health for us. <laughs> it's
0: almost like there always has to be a disaster for things to change. <laughs> I
2: mean, this, this
0: just kind of reminds, reminds me of like the housing crisis. It's like everyone just forgot to build for like 10 years. You know, we forgot to turn off the printing press. We forgot to do this. You know, <laughs> and like, there's just so many different, you know, the catastrophes that just lay dormant for decades until, you know, now we, now we have these, now we have real issues that we have to, and we need entrepreneurs like you um, Mm -hmm. to solve problems. So when I, when I look at nursing, when I look at IntelliCare and I look at the kind of gig market um, solution set, and I think about the market, I think about, okay, IntelliCare is offering like, a tourniquet to kind of stop the bleeding or at least lessen the bleeding of the hospitals, right? We're, we're, we're taking, we're taking, we're offering more shifts. We're optimizing. We're giving the nurses what they want. You know, hopefully we can retain them longer. Dot, dot, dot. Um, what, what, how does IntelliCare think about the future and the roadmap and how do we get more, supply into the market because I looked like really heavily into this space and, you know, I'm running into words like preceptor and there's just so many nursing schools and they're, you know, the, the, the shortage is like they have wait lists to get in. Then there's private education, but private education's icky. So, I mean, how do you guys think about the role of, of nursing education and the onboarding to getting them confident
1: in the workforce? You know, I'll, Rebecca is uh, brilliant about uh, this sub- subject as well, but let me kind of t- take one subject in that in, in the sense that I think one of the questions you were heading at is beyond that kind of Band-Aid or the tourniquet, uh, uh, as you call it, uh, what else are we doing to help, you know, uh, become more more fully staffed or to kind of have that capability? Uh, I think there's kind of two things. One is that we've, we've effectively offered our technology platform, <clears throat> that has allowed us to be so successful at both attracting and engaging nurses to these healthcare facilities saying, look, we've created some magic for, for us. Why don't we give that same magic to you? Um, And that way you can actually offer the same level of flexibility, which then would allow you to kind of attract and uh, more people to work with you in your in your world, and then to keep them, you know, more engaged and for longer, um, and that's—I um, got to tell you—I I thought there would be more receptivity to that. Uh, they they complain that we've been so successful at what we do um, that uh, that we we've uh, we've made it too attractive, um, and and I'm thinking, well don't you want to be attractive to nurses? I mean, nurses are the scarce commodity here. So why don't, why don't we give you some of our secret sauce and let you, you know, run with that? And, and yet I, I was a little surprised that, the, that uh, most health systems and post-acute was just like, that's too, um, even with the technology platform you're providing, it seems a little too difficult. We'd like you just to keep providing us staff. But we are interested in full-time staff. And, and so we've, we've also adapted to that. I mean, we do have hundreds of thousands of nurses and nurse assistants that have worked with us over time. We have uh, developed an opportunity to, to bring full-time staff uh, to our clients as well. But that doesn't change the game in terms of the total number of nurses, as you were just talking about. David. Um, and that's where Rebecca kind of can kind of give you a little bit more information.
2: Yeah. And David, I think to your point, um, uh, the reality is, is that we've always produced uh, significant amounts of nurses in this country. In fact, we graduate 188,000 nursing students a year in this country. It is the largest segment of any population that we graduate in the United States of any professional degree. But as I said, a significant portion leave. And I think that we've always just thought that we would just, simply... Just,
1: you, you stated the stat before Rebecca, but let's just restate it. How many leave after two years?
2: Fifty-seven percent of those leave. In- that's
1: that's the thing that needs to be addressed. Not not how do we keep adding more to the top of the funnel, but why do fifty-seven percent leave within two years? Uh, at and least that. that is- <laughs>
2: Yes, and I, but I think, and it shows the divergence of this conversation, right? And the answer is, look, there's not enough spots. They're not doing these things. The reality is, there's always plenty of those. We're admitting as many as we can. We graduate more nurses than any other profession in the entire country. We just don't keep them. So, what is happening in the environments of healthcare today that is driving this group of individuals? Who, let's be very honest, the reason they became nurses is because they want to help others, right? They did this to sacrifice their lives at the risk of taking care of others. And we saw that very clearly in COVID. More nurses died at the bedside than any other profession. Why we all sat behind computer screens and manipulated the work and the wings that we did. They were the ones why all the administrators, all of the executives, all of the physicians by large scale left them to support these lives within the acute care and in the long-term care space. And the question becomes, what have we done that drives so many of them away. And the truth is, is we can talk about ratios. We can talk about um, how nurses have had a broken reimbursement model, placing them as costs means that more nurses equal more costs without associated revenue lines. So you're always going to staff nurses to the lowest cost denominator. But more importantly, have we kept them in this archaic model of scheduling and shifts that no longer works for the balance that nurses need to be able to provide for their family, but also provide for their ability to have a career. And I think fundamentally, Um, We, as a population, need to wonder why, in this day and age, why nursing is failing in its profession. Not in what we're producing education-wise, we produce plenty of them, but we are not able to keep them. And um, I think that is the fundamental conversation that if you're even hearing what's going on in Federal Hill, billions of dollars are going to go into producing more nurses, but no money is going into new systems to actually sustain them. And in, in fact, David, I, and maybe you were aware of what happened with Mayo in Minnesota, for example, who in the last hours of the Keeping Nurses at the Bedside Act, who had bipartisan support, was heading to the governor's death. The 11th hour, Mayo wrote a note to the governor, said, if you sign this, we will pull billions of dollars in investments from you. When they had asked simply to create staffing councils to help address the number of nurses per floor in a hospital based on acuity levels, Mayo won. Because what they argued was they couldn't meet any kind of staffing ratios within the state because 56% of all nurses in the state of Minnesota only work part-time. If the majority only work part-time, why have we not built any systems that actually accelerate their ability to work as opposed to keep them trapped in a model that doesn't work for them? So what is, um,
0: yeah, that's complicated. Um, For sure like that's a complicated issue to fix because you have regulations we're dealing with Washington they're saying you need this for quality care we're saying yeah we'd like to do that but we can't (laughs) it doesn't exist. you can't just pay nurses more, right? Because that's going to like flop the Medicare rate, right? Like you, if you just give everybody a 20% raise, you know, like that's going to completely disjoint the whole CMS system. I'm not saying that they don't deserve it or you can't find that money elsewhere, but you probably can, but that's another, you know, uh, threads of the sweater that you're going to have to pull on. So your suggestion is how do we reorganize the workflow to work for the frontline healthcare workers that makes it um, a job worth having, right? As compared to a gazillion other jobs that they can have um, that they could get enjoyment from, which could include doing gig stuff, you know, being creative, doing this, doing that, and and getting paid a lot more with a lot less abuse. So if we were to take a look at what the utopian you know, Rebecca Love, like, hospital floor would look like, right, where, he, she, you know, she's going to have, you know, um, 85% retention or 90% retention or 95% retention? You know, what what does that look like?
2: So, David, let's be very honest. We know that it works in one state. It would work very well in California. We know that California is, with nurse-to-patient ratios, which is an assigned amount of nurses per patient, a per number of patients per nurse, we know not only do outcomes go up, mortality goes down, but nurse retention is the highest in the country, and California is the only state without a severe nursing shortage in the entire country. Oregon followed and just passed nurse-to-patient ratios. In Oregon, 17 other states currently have nurse-to-patient ratio legislation pending, with the Pennsylvania just voting last week within the House to actually support nurse-to-patient ratios in those settings, but more importantly, just reintroduced of, uh, April of this year, we have actually federal legislation to push forward nurse-to-patient ratios. What I have to say about that is, let's be very honest, Honest, if it is mandated, so will it. Will the workforce work out, and hospital systems will figure out a way to make it manage? And people would argue that it creates hospital systems to be too costly when you allow for ratios. But you actually find that the most financially successful hospitals are based out of California, and the model actually works better. So the definition is is that we can actually mandate ratios, drive better outcomes, maintain the nursing workforce, and actually accomplish more financially with actually drive. And we know healthcare is just getting more expensive outcomes are going down except in one place and that is in states that have nurse to patient ratios.
1: So and da- go ahead and ask your question, Dave, but I wanna I wanna go back to something Rebecca said that I think ends up becoming pretty serious part of the, the issue. Go ahead.
0: So you're saying that that California and and Oregon they have nurse to patient ratios versus other states that don't have nurse to patient ratios. Correct. Or they might have them, but they have them from like a hospital like requirement, not necessarily a state requirement.
2: Correct, and um, I mean no hospital really requires it. Must be honest, um, you're going to staff them to the lowest cost denominator. But yeah, yeah. David, go ahead, jump yeah, in. Well, cool. yeah. and
1: that's that's what I wanted to get at. You want to staff them to the lowest cost denominator? Okay, David, take a second, put your CEO hat on. You. That's that's
0: terrifying, by the way, absolutely terrifying. I've done it once. I've done it in in interim. It's the worst experience on the planet,
1: but okay, go ahead. So uh, so you have um, if – you've got every clinician in the hospital gets billed back for their time or for their procedures or whatever it is that they're doing. To the payers whether that's CMS whether that's you know insurance companies or whatever but every every one of those becomes a revenue producer. hey if I get them to work more hours I can bill more hours and I can make more money. the only clinician that doesn't is a nurse okay so now a nurse it's part of the part of the room rate that that's a cost. A room, the bed, the bedpans, the sheets, that's a cost. Well, a Mm -hmm. nurse is a cost. And if a nurse is going to be a cost and not build back for their time, then I will always, as CEO, try to spread that cost as low as possible. I will always try to operate at the lowest level possible to improve my margin. So there's a fundamental mismatch in terms of you know how how healthcare operates and because of that you'll you'll never not have a nursing shortage uh, because you will always drive nurses out of the bedside as quickly as possible because they're always going to be overworked and overstressed and and nowadays they're even being criminally charged for mistakes they're being made that they're making because they are you know, overworked. Um, you get yeah. you get to a point of be having a a completely mismatched uh, nurse to patient ratio. You, it's going to lend itself to mistakes, and then on top of that, they get criminally charged and they they have the potential of losing their license, which has accelerated the defection of nurses from the uh, from the bedside. So, anyway.
0: And yeah, didn't no, me... I saw that case that was pretty terrifying. Well, that's we just... not
1: one. Oh, there's many now. Yeah. Many.
2: In fact, the attorney general in the state of Ohio criminally prosecuted over 100 nurses and CNAs within long-term care, not prosecuting one nursing home owner in the course of the last year. Um, and David, I think what's important is to step back in the history of why this happened. And it steps back almost 100 years ago, when in which women were fighting for the right to vote in the early 1900s. And the American Nurses Association stayed out of that until 1919, which they helped organized one of the largest marches in the history of the United States to support the women's suffrage movement. 1920 women get the right to vote 1920s. Nursing becomes the greatest economic vehicle for women's financial independence in the history of the world. At that time, hospitals were places of deplorable conditions, only the most destitute thought care there. Private families started to hire private duty nurses to go and deliver care. Outcomes started to get better hospitals started to see the values of nurses. They started to bring them in and employ them in hospital systems. But what started to happen is nurses and women started to get significant financial power. And based on the research done by Donna Deers, one of the leading historians, hospitals started to feel threatened by this and wanted to keep nurses as far away from the money as possible. So what happened in 1930s when they started to develop a national model for insurance, they looked for a model that would keep nurses within the hospital, but would not recognize value that they had from a financial one because nurses were able to quantify their value when they were billed during the 1920s. In old hospital bills in the 1920s, you'll see a line that says nursing services. So they looked to a model, they saw that maids were rolled into room rates at hotel rooms and they rolled nurses into room rates in the 1930s, forever bearing nursing as the only healthcare professional that is not a billable service. OT, PT, respiratory therapy, MRI techs, dietary techs, all of them have a reimbursement code except nursing. And I hate to say it, but it was done specifically to keep women and nursing down as a profession. And for a hundred years, we have allowed this lack of reimbursement model to exist that is now fundamentally undermining the entire healthcare system today. Because why would any woman, which is still nursing, choose to go into a profession that is a capitated payment model, that you will earn the most you will ever learn at your 20th year of nursing, and that the average salary increase of nurses, I don't know if you're aware of this, David, but on average, between 2011 and 2019, the cost of living associated agent based on BLS shows that nurses on average only receive a salary increase of 1.6% per year, half of the 3% that most regular Americans receive. This has been a profession that when you actually look at the data coming out of the UK, on the cost of inflation, nurses in the UK are working one shift in five for free because the salaries have been kept so low compared to um, inflationary resources. This is basically a profession that we thought we could just keep as a commodity. And as long as the model exists as it does today, we will fundamentally continue to deinvest in what is perhaps the only profession that actually exists to keep hospitals running. Everything else could be done outpatient, David. OTPT surgery, all of that could be done in any other setting but a hospital nursing home. If you are in a nursing home or a hospital today, your life is so at risk that without 24-7 monitoring by a nurse, you could die. And that is something that we are fundamentally not discussing. Because there is nobody else that can literally do the jobs that nurses do today in the hospitals and the nursing homes as they exist. And that is something that we are all seeing with our loved ones who show up in emergency room wait times are 19 hours or length of bed throughputs means that patients are in the hospital seven days and nobody can get into a nursing home because there's none of them left because the reimbursement model does not exist to support them. This is the issue that we're facing.
1: Yeah. So that you got you more than you probably bargained for, David.
0: You know that was a lot. Um, I feel like and now I kind of know what it feels like to like be a congressman and like be on the other end of like. Oh, oh, look, I feel so small. No. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, that no. That those are all. I, I, why do you not think that the nursing unions haven't gotten further along hmm. to try to address these needs?
2: No. Uh, well, um, so there is only one real nursing union in the United States. It's called National Nurses United. It's out of NNU. They were the ones who were able to get nurse to patient ratios passed both within the state of California and now Oregon, which just happened. They also were the ones who organized, I'm so sorry, the largest nursing marches that we've seen in US history, both in New York and Minnesota, which occurred in the last year. Um, I would say that anybody, um, and I'm talking to business professionals, we'll let David please jump in here. But the truth is, the world union has been considered a very negative term in this country. Now, I think the next generation of those coming up behind us are recognizing the value of unions in a way that perhaps our generations did not because of the value of the frontline worker not having a voice within the executive levels of our organizations. Why they also have not been done is as long as they remain a cost, nobody hears them because there is not every argument to make them investable goes to the wayside because there is no ability to create a model financially that works for it. Now, I do think what you're going to see in the next three years will be the largest nursing walkouts, strikes, and potential disruption of healthcare in our system, not only in the United States, but globally in the world because of what is going on. But David, I, I would love your opinion as a CEO why do you feel that the nursing unions perhaps have not had the voice and the representation or that it has fallen on deaf ears? Let's be very honest. There's very few nurse CEOs in this country, especially at hospital systems. Um, and, I, and, the, and and from my personal experience, very few nurses who have seats at the table to be able to drive these conversations forward. They usually remain in the bottom tiers. Of the healthcare echelons ash- but david?
1: I, I think you you hit it on rebecca which is as a ceo you always try to you're afraid of what how the union might change the dynamic of your company and uh i, I think that a union hopefully david is kind of the last resort here right there's a commission that was recently launched um in fact rebecca was uh, largely responsible for getting some brilliant people together to to get it to go but um is to actually begin to kind of figure out how do we move the nursing model from being in that in that you know room rate to uh, being a reimbursable expense and there's, just, there's some good momentum behind that and and I think that you know like you say unions may have to drive that but uh, I think hopefully there's some recognition that it well shoot that just makes sense if, if it becomes part of how we operate with every other clinician in the, in the hospital, then, then, and we don't have shortages of OTs, PTs radiology tech. You know, at least not to the extent that we have in, in nursing. Uh, th- that this could become um, an important change. It's it's not simple. Oh my gosh. No, know. it's not. It's not yeah.
0: it sounds, it sounds I
1: mean, simple, but it's not. It is, it is. It is massive. But that's why this commission exists. Like, how can it be done? Like, can can it really be done? Um, and that's
0: sure but, like anything could be done if there's if there's enough horsepower behind there's just it. enough like what, it's what, just a mismatch what are the steps yeah one yeah. of the steps yeah. i guess but, like, but what, you like, would agree
1: one? you would agree david that that's that just from a business standpoint for-profit healthcare institution there's that mismatch right now maybe government has to step in and say all right we're going to do nurse to patient ratios everywhere you're not you know they're not going to self-regulate and say all right let's Let's actually make this a reimbursable expense. But uh, uh, but if they come in and say, "Hey, nurse to patient ratios," that'll be a good first step. I think one of the things that Rebecca also talked about is nurses. One of the one of the things that have driven them, and, and I'm going to put words in your mouth, Rebecca, but uh, driven them away is just no. Just their voice hasn't been heard, and and I think if if every health system put on the executive team, like actual, you know, part of the decision-making authorities, nurses, a nurse, uh, uh, it, It's it's a different world than what other clinicians experience, you know, in a hospital. So without that representation, it's pretty difficult to have a voice there.
2: Or even the boards of hospitals in all honesty let's be honest less than six percent of hospital boards have nurses on them and why that is important is that there's a lack of understanding by scale these boards uh, in my opinion have a fiduciary responsibility to the communities in which they operate to make sure that these patients within their communities are accessing the kind of care that they have, that their taxpayer dollars are supporting. Let's be very honest, still the number one reimbursement model for nursing homes and hospitals today is Medicare and Medicaid, right? You have a fiduciary and financial contract within the community that you're living in to actually provide the health care services that taxpayers are supporting you. Now, why is it? Now, this, let's look back and I don't know if you followed the situation of what happened with North Carolina and Avant's health care system that then was followed up by Treasurer Powell. But what happened in Novant is the emergency room wait times went up over 20 hours for their emergency rooms. People were literally dying in the ER and they were shutting floors because they said they didn't have enough nurses to cut overhead. So this treasurer's office, Powell, went in and he pulled their Medicaid license. He pulled their state Medicaid license and said, wait a second. I've given you billions of dollars in taxpayer money. Where is this money going if it's not supporting nurses to keep the hospital open? So guess what? As soon as they pulled that, within two weeks, Novant hired thousands of nurses back, found all of the money. I guess maybe they had to put one of those new buildings on hire, stop the build or the, the, uh, the, I don't know, What do you get at the end of year a bonus um, to the executive office to get all these nurses hired. But it triggered the treasurer's office to investigate where did the billions of dollars that they had given not North Carolina's nonprofit, and you want to know what they found. They found that $1.75 billion of payments through Medicaid state dollars had gone to expand CEO and executive pay at nonprofit healthcare systems in the state of North Carolina. Whereas physician pay had only increased by 20% over 10 years, nursing pay had only increased by 14% over 10 years. And during the 2020 pandemic, when they were furloughing nurses, not one hospital executive took a pay cut in 2020 while they were furloughing the front line in this situation. So if you want to know, there is plenty of money in healthcare, David, to support nursing but it's going to build new stadiums and it's going to build very expensive and support very expensive non-frontline staff that if we want to actually investigate this, in fact, actually my understanding is that Treasurer Powell is now um, working with 19 other state treasurers to follow the money, to understand this better. The reality is this to me is the responsibility of the boards of these hospitals to be asking these tough questions. And if you put nurses on them, they are going to ask this exact question stuff, uh, questions and information so that we can know That when a woman is about to have a baby, there is a birthing center that they can go to. That when your loved one has a heart attack, they can show up in the emergency room and get access to cardiac cath lab with nurses there that are going to be able to inflate and open that heart back up. And those patients who are in hospitals, so acute, because if you can walk and talk, you are no longer in a nursing home or in a hospital today. You need that nurse who's going to stop that bleeding, change those wounds, hang those IVs, manage hundreds of thousands of dollars of technology, medication, and process. To keep you alive, because that is where we have forgotten what is happening within these systems. We've done such a poor job defining what nursing does that we think it's holding somebody's hand. I wish to tell you that is what it is because then you and you, I could send to a hospital because you could all hold the hands of these patients dying within their beds. But I don't know if you could manage the trach and the wound and the suction and the IVs and the medications, the blood pressure, all of these things that the nurse does to keep patients alive within those precarious moments. It is the worst day of anybody's life when you need a nurse outside of labor and delivery. And the truth is, is that is what they cross the threshold every day to do. They deal with people when they are dying or at risk of dying. And somehow we have made them invisible in the value of keeping patients alive. And and we need to change that. Yeah. And
0: thank God that there's innovation, right? Because you wouldn't exist. And what's just great about the free markets, right? Is that there's a pain point, <laughs> you know, the, the, the water will flow there and it clearly has. And, and now I guess, I guess it's, I kind of think about just this conversation and you guys have actually educated me a lot, um, uh, in a lot of areas that I didn't know about nursing, um, specifically around ratios and, and these kind of fixed, co- I mean, I knew about the fixed costs, but I didn't look at it from the perspective of like a room rate and and how that and how that incentive is is blurred. But um, yeah, I mean, like I, I kind of like the, like I guess where where my mind goes with this is that there's two it, it, there's two ways this can fork. There's the well, the government should do something. Right. And change reimbursement models or mandate, you know, this or the market's going to do what the market's going to do. Right. And whereas the, the labor is going to unionize or, you know, there's going to be a hospital that's going to be progressive and they're going to do, you know, um, you know, they're going to be a lot more nurse friendly and have, you know, these things. Then the nurses are all going to want to go to those hospitals. So w- what's the balance there between the government should do something or let the market be the market?
1: Well, I, I think uh, I think you're going to get to a breaking point pretty soon. In some cases, we've already seen that breaking point, and then it just uh, it sort of depends on what happens next. Uh, if if you find, I mean, what we've we're already found that there's lots of thousands of patients that can't be discharged to a say skilled nursing facility uh, for you know rehab after operation because there's no room. Um, There's room, plenty of room, but they're not accepting patients. So they only have like an 80% uh, uh, census rate right now.
0: Because they don't want to pay. They don't want to pay. Yeah,
1: and these uh, these facilities are like, I don't have enough people, and so I'm just not going to do anything. And then enough of these, you know, hospitals, nurses are leaving, and they can't keep up, and they can't do the operations. So there is a... There's a point, and it won't be a breaking point across the country. It'll be breaking points in various regions, and then, um, and then we'll see what happens, right? Maybe that's where the union k- kicks in. Maybe that's where local legislation kicks in, where they finally say, you know what, we have to have these nurse, you know, ratios or the patient ratios. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I think you're right. The market's going to do what it's going to do. Um, I think there's a lot of. But it's it's pretty fundamental, so it's it's going to be significant. It's going to be significant, whatever happens. It's uh, you know, we can be as innovative uh, on our technology as we can, but um, I, I, sometimes I feel like we're we're barely scratching the surface, you know, on the on the big the big opportunity.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I feel honestly that um, I feel like. It's kind of like your move, right? Providers, you know, do you know? We, you know, there's been, you know, a, a bottoms up les miserables moment, right? When yeah. you know the nurses stood up, and and now now you're 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 you know screwed, and and you know, and it's not a leverage game, but it, it is, and something needs to happen, right? And you can't just keep feeding the top and expect that this is going to be. I don't think anybody checks into a hospital and fills out, man, I had a great time. You know what I mean? Like, no, 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 no patient loves going yeah. to hospital. There's always a bad experience. And, um,
1: adding more you know, nursing
0: goals, gotta,
1: yeah, just isn't going to do it, right? We all love our no, silver no, bullets. Right. I think there's uh, everybody wants a silver bullet. And in this case, yeah, boy, that's a <laughs> I, I,
0: lo- I love the reimbursable nursing, um, because that's just going to change the paradigm. But then you have to pull money to give money. And there's like, no, there's, that's right.
1: Yeah, that's right. I'd love to I see mean, an that's, experiment. That's, I'd love to see an experiment yeah. happen. You know, uh, find some progressive state that's willing to kind of experiment with that. I don't know; it'd be interesting.
0: Or, or, or even, or even a system, right? Like, give yeah. me an IDN that's going to yeah. get some kind that'll be reimbursed by some kind of um,
1: yeah.
0: like value. Ba- it's almost like a value based like employer thing. It's like not even a, on your on the patient side, but on the on the employer side, but. This is a very Rebecca, illuminating... Yeah,
2: go ahead. To that point, actually, a lot of people say to me, Rebecca, value-based care will take care of it, and I said, no, actually, it won't, because nurses are no. the only individual without an NPI number. So you couldn't even track right. it. If you want to do it, they're going to say, it's so great, but right. the room healed the patient. So <laughs> I think one thing that I also want to address, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the elephant in the room, David, which is David and I, I Coppins and I, um, represent a staffing agency, and... Um, People ask me all the time, Rebecca, why did you join a staffing company? Because um, they're the evil person in this conversation. During COVID, right, there was all these accusations that we took advantage of the free market dynamics. But it was the first time in my world as a nurse that nurses actually could demand what the market of them and one of the most important things that I think I should share I already shared with you the increase in nursing salaries on average is only 1.6 percent per year from the years of 2011 to 2019 in 2020 was the only meaningful increase in nursing salaries in the history of this country, where nursing salaries went up by 3.26%, still less than the 5.9% of adjustments most other Americans made. But if it hadn't been for staffing agencies, one, we would never have been able to respond to the crisis the way we did. We would never have been able to move nurses to the hot spots within this country, or let's be honest, long-term care would have shut down if it had not been for staffing agents to step in there. But two, they finally allowed nursing to see their value. And to me, fundamentally, what has been missing and the, the, from this whole conversation is Why is there a conversation that those companies that invested in nursing, those companies that rose to the challenge to meet the worst pandemic in 100 years, why they were the ones that were not are being held accountable for the lack and failure of our hospital and healthcare systems who are not investing in this nursing workforce. And I, I fundamentally feel that this paradigm is something that we need to be speaking at at a much larger level, because if hospital executives are making millions of dollars a year, plus all of these other bonuses and structures that they're getting— why are they able to make those kind of dollars and not invest in their nursing workforce? And we should really be looking at the models that actually did work and drive the free market economics. It is the first time in the history that I know of a nursing where we actually allowed free market economics to value the nurse and actually create models that worked for the profession um, because more nurses stayed and practiced during the pandemic than those that are staying today. And that says something. More nurses are leaving Uh after the pandemic than during the pandemic. And more nurses actually went back to the bedside. We saw the largest movement of nurses back to the bedside that had entered retirement during the pandemic because of organizations that invested in a staffing model to move them, to send them to the hotspots because nurses wanted to help. They wanted to show up and take care of those that most others would not. So I think that's part of the conversation that we need to be having from, from that market. They have, they have a sense of duty.
0: They have a sense of duty. And this isn't a handout. This isn't like me them taking advantage of a, of a, of a situation. This is something that, um, needs to happen. So this, I I mean, that was a great ending, ending note, Rebecca. Um, what can somebody do? What can founders do? What can investors do that want to get involved in this? Is there some kind of you know, petitions or, or letters they can send to their their um, their their local legislators. What, what's what? How do you get involved,
1: Rebecca? Do you want to mention?
2: The- well, thank you, David. Yes, uh, the Commission for Nurse Reimbursement, it's just the commission for nurse reimbursement.com. Please come and get involved with us um, and we're uh, we are we're taking this issue uh, to the HELP Committee and managing to try to push this through with the Centre for Medicaid and Medicaid Innovation actually in North Carolina to do an experiment. But David, um, I think if people want to learn more about IntelliCare and the way we're tackling the, the market, what should they be looking at?
1: You know, I, I think that meet with us. I mean, we can discuss how, you know, it works in, you know, it's not a one size fits all solution. We think there's lots of different ways uh, to really attack it in your particular uh, scenario. If you are employing nurses or needing to employ nurses, I think for the entrepreneurs, uh, I think we laid out some of the big fundamental issues out there, man, if we could come up with some brilliant technology solution, that can address that, you know, let's, let's do that. Um, but uh, I think across the board, don't get into that silver bullet mindset of, oh, let's, uh, let's just add another nursing school or, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that think they have the thing, um, but it's, um, it's, there's some fundamental issues here uh, at play. And, and if you just look at that percentage of nurses that leave the bedside within that first two years, that's the that's the one metric to keep your eye on. Um, if anything's going to get better, that number should be going down. Instead of fifty six percent, you know, can we get that down to thirty five percent? And then life would be would change massively. You know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and why is that? So.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Everybody, if you like the episode, please subscribe. We drop an episode every Tuesday and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing.